0: What's up, Ryan, how's it going?
1: Good, how are you doing, Joe?
0: Fantastic. Uh, just uh, kicking it at home right now. So, so to have you on the podcast. Um, for people who don't know who you are, do you wanna give a quick intro? Yeah, so uh, my
1: name is Ryan Dolly. I'm one of the Super Data Brothers. I have a, uh, a podcast and a, a blog and YouTube channel with my brother, Eric, and um, we are actual brothers. We get asked that all the time. Uh, are <laughs> you guys are real brothers and the answer is yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then otherwise, I'm you know i a a uh, analytics consultant. I do strategic consulting. I do still do some kind of hands-to-keyboard work, uh, technical work, and then I also help advise uh, analytics vendors sometimes on market strategies and that sort mm. of thing.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I uh, hung out with you and your brother down at uh, Day-to-Day Texas uh, earlier this year in Austin. Uh, you guys are quite the duo, so...
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks. That, that's an awesome, uh, that was my first time at Data Day, and I really, I thought that conference had an awesome vibe, and uh, just everything about it was was different from most other data conferences I've been to in a good way.
0: I mm-hmm. yeah. Completely agree. I think Lynn Vander, the, uh, the guy who uh, puts it together, I think he described it as a party that masquerades as a conference, so yeah. I think it's very... Uh, very apt description of it. So um, yeah,
1: that was, that was my experience.
0: Yeah. But you guys are, you guys are definitely a hit. I think everyone was uh, definitely recognized that the Dolly brothers walking around the, uh, the conference center. So you guys have definitely started making a name for yourself. Plus you have the cool t-shirts, the, uh, super data bros. So, um, how, who could not like you guys, right? So. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. And, and I, I think, uh, you've had some things in your mind recently. You want to talk about, uh, with respect to BI?
1: Yeah, well, I've just been, you know, I've been thinking a lot about um, the last, uh, you know, the, what you might call the, well, there was this metaphor, say, uh, that people used for analytics for a long time, uh, which which was all about like a supply chain, right? You conceive of your analytics as a supply chain. And I started kind of thinking about that. And and while I, I think that was an accurate way to describe what we were doing for a long time, um, at least from a from what the way that manifested itself from kind of a business intelligence or front end perspective was it it made everything about how efficiently can we prep data and get it into a state where we can just churn out visualizations and dashboards right mm. and i think um i think that was valuable it was necessary thinking about the history of bi and where we were coming from but i really have this feeling that going into now that we're well and truly into the 2020s that we're going to have to change the way the the front end works and, and the purpose of it in order to really continue to see value on investments in, in business intelligence in general.
0: Interesting. Walk me through that. Like what, what needs to change and and why?
1: Well, like, I mean the big thing, you know, like cause I, I thought a lot about this and like, The big thing that needs to change in my mind, one of them is that this supply chain mentality turns everything into like a, it's all about efficiency in one direction, right? Mm. How how quickly can we prep and pump data into the front end? And that's great, but um, the problem with that is that we've created uh, an analytics front end and a business intelligence layer that is uh, very messy Uh, It's very hard to govern and, and this is to me the most important part, it has kind of um, insight lock-in in in Mm. the BI layer, right? Because we've optimized for this one-way flow, but in reality, what happens a lot of times, especially if you're trying to build out kind of a self-service visualization, data discovery part of your data practice, is that people come up with, they realize something important in the BI front end and then it it's just stuck there. It's abandoned there forever because we haven't we haven't built up kind of a bi-directional flow that takes things into the front end, but also easily lets you take them
0: out. Interesting. That that is a big change. <laughs> so right, right. Yeah, yeah. It feels like with with BI, it's always been I think as you say, sort of a, a one way thing. Um, you know, analysts and BI report creators were just um, making the report, you know? Yeah, I mean, you and I have done this for a while, um, making the report, uh, changing the report, but um, but it always felt like a very passive exercise. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and and that's, I mean, it it really, my theory on it anyways, and I'm curious, you know, if you, kind of how you feel about this, but it actually kind of comes back to, uh, you're, you made a, a post on LinkedIn I, I don't know a couple of weeks ago maybe that that kind of blew up a little bit about like what was the point of the last 10 years of, of analytics you know yeah
0: um, and uh, it, it became a bit curmugyny once in a while so yeah
1: yeah but I, I read that and I was like you know I think I mean you really had a point there like there was a long time when I was thinking about my experience that it was kind of like the you know the bi piece of it felt like um it was like and then we'll build some dashboards right like that right. wasn't the that wasn't the the sexy part of it um and and I, I don't know that it needs to be the sexy part of it but it needs to be better integrated into the the way you think about your your data practice mm. um and and not just not just as an endpoint or something you do because you know you at some point you got to make a chart in order to communicate the more interesting data engineering work that you're doing, right? Um, uh, and I think that there's there's also, there's just a lot of stuff that happens on that front end that you would want to be able to bring back down easily, right, to, to move it upstream easily. If someone, the example I give is like, if someone were to do using a, a BI tool or even Excel, and this is not an unusual thing for them to do, let's say they were gonna be looking at the information and you know they do some analysis, and they come up with a new way to um, bucketize your customers visiting your online storefront, right? And now you say to yourself, like, wh- what should you do with that? Is is it okay to just have it live in a chart, hmm. um, or would it be better if there were an easy way for you to then take that and plug it into? An ML model for to to do real time offers to people visiting the store, right? Like that piece of it in my mind today is way too hard.
0: Yeah, I agree. Something in the last chapter of our book we wrote about this sort of the the future of um, data engineering and and uh, serving data, and it feels like. Machine learning is definitely going to become more, uh, I think, front and center. Same with streaming to some extent. I think the feedback loop between basically when data is generated and and you're doing something with it, that's going to just shrink incredibly. So the notion of dashboards, for example, right? I write that that might evolve um, towards something that's more akin to operational analytics in in some Mm -hmm. ways. Um, Because especially with real time, for example, right? As data gets faster... Uh, looking at a dashboard that tells you kind of like what happened or or when it happened, I think is a bit useless because you, um, you want to take action on that. Like you just don't want to sit there and stare at a dashboard that yeah. continuously updates. Like what's the point of that? So, yes. it's it's just a lot of things I think that are causing um sort of a rethink of BI. Like you know you, you had a series of articles about sort of how BI needs to evolve, and I think it's it's awesome that we're you know all having these different conversations about how it needs to evolve because I I get this a sense that it. Up to this point, it feels very ceremonial, uh, where you're just making making the dashboard and then adding the charts, and and here you go. And then, how many people read these dashboards? I have no idea. Uh, what do they <laughs> yeah. do with these dashboards? No idea. But we're making dashboards, so
1: right, right, and and that that you you're I mean, it's funny, yeah. That is that's a good way to describe it. And that's it's almost like um, if you think about the dashboard itself, you know, there's a there's like there is in my mind or will be going forward still a strong use case for a dashboard but it's it is not as the catch-all default data presentation style, right? It is when you have known questions with easily definable answers yep. that everyone agrees on that have an ongoing operational component, right? then it makes sense to have like, we will take these 10 metrics. We're going to put them on one page. We're all going to look at it so that we're all speaking the same language. We all have the same touch points and we all, and the important component of it in my mind is like, we also all agree on what the numbers mean and what Mm. we're going to do about them. Right? Because the challenge with the dashboard is if you don't agree about what they mean, or you don't have any idea what to do about them you immediately get yourself into a situation where the dashboard is no longer useful. Right. Um, and, and then you start thinking about what alternative forms of, okay, so then what should we do instead? And I, and I think there's some interesting work being done around that, around, um, you know, I've been very interested to see kind of the, the evolving BI notebook space mm. uh, as kind of a, a way to tell stories uh, better you know, in a way that you, it's very challenging in a dashboard. And I think this is one area where we're just going to have to there's kind of this collision between this feeling, and I agree with it that we need something that moves beyond dashboards and what is that. Uh, and then there's also kind of the the whole generative AI GPT thing flowing into it where you know you say, well, h- how much of what we shove into a dashboard today would be better handled by you know, some sort of model, um, or chat bot that can answer questions on the fly.
0: Yeah. It feels like that's, it's going that direction. I mean, ThoughtSpot had their, uh, I think they announced like some sort of a GPT integration. And, yeah. um, I mean, I, I, remember even back in like 2016 or 17, like somebody wanted me to make a, uh, like an Alexa bot that you could ask it questions and it would get the, uh, data out of a uh, looker and give you the, the results back. So it feels like people have always wanted these um, you know, different ways of interfacing with the data. I felt like the uh Alexa was a bit um at the time is was a bit challenging to make something that parse intelligently. Uh yeah. You know, but I think with GPT it might be finally there. Cause it just that's how people ask questions. It's not like they ask questions uh people don't think in SQL. I think that's like the one thing I I'd like to uh get across to data professionals. Like uh you know people always uh I don't know, I see people wear like SQL t-shirts and stuff, which is super cool, but the rest of the world doesn't think in terms of SQL at all. It's a very abstract thing. So,
1: yeah, yeah. And you can see that in so far as as like, um, you know, my dad works in uh, works worked in. He's retired now, but he worked in kind of, kind of IT and um, and analytics starting in the early 90s. And he mm. was telling me that there was a time when I was, you know, Eight or whatever, where uh, where the theory was that like SQL was so easy that it so closely mimicked real human language that like just everybody in business would learn SQL. Like that was <laughs> that was the assumption. And here we are, thirty five years later, and it has not, and will not happen. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, honestly, before before I saw GPT, um, you know, when I before I, I started playing around with ChatGPT, GPT. The reality is over the last, uh, I don't know, starting in 2015, 2016, every BI tool implemented some form of natural language query within mm. the tool, and they universally sucked. Uh, they just, uh, you know, they, 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 in tight conditions, they were a great sales demo. Right. Um, but when you use them in the real world, they just, we're no good, and and so before October or whenever it was that GPT first kind of hit everyone's consciousness, I would have told you that this thing is this chatbot BI idea is still way far in the future. Uh, I don't feel that way anymore.
0: No, I don't either. I, I use a uh, GPT and a uh, Bard every day, just more just to kind of probe like what it knows and see what it comes yeah. back with. But it it does a frighteningly great job. Uh, uh giving pretty mediocre to decent answers um right and that's kind of all you need so you know i was, yeah. I was reading the other day like uh you know bloomberg there's bloomberg gpt um you know they're training that on all their uh, data sets and um you know so i mean you could effectively do a lot of the work of a financial analyst uh you know once this thing is um you know, trained up and that's interesting so yeah
1: yeah, I mean, I did a, um, just last night, I, I asked it to, uh, I was doing some analysis of my, you know, my taxes, right? And asking it to project forward different things about, you know, my income and, and feeding in parameters is how many kids I have. And, and like it was, it was like I was talking to a financial advisor.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's wild. And so I think that now, I think that will definitely have a place. And you mentioned ThoughtSpot's integration of that. I, I went to the Gartner conference mm. in Orlando a couple of weeks ago and I did, um, it turns out someone at ThoughtSpot is a fan of, of the super data show.
0: How could they not, especially when you wear that suit to the, uh, right? you can't wear like a gray suit or something. I was like, he's, yep. he's cool. He's cool.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, no, I, uh, I, I, you know, it's funny. Um, I think sometimes I'm the only person who, in the tech space, who um, who wishes we would dress up more. Mm. Uh, you know, because I, um, I don't know. I just, I have a collection of of like what I think are very cool ties, and, and I just don't have anywhere to wear them anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, they gave me a, they gave me a demo of, of of the way they've integrated GPT into ThoughtSpot, and I, I thought it was very smart in so far as they layered it on. You know, they had a keyword based. Um, kind of chat engine, right? Where you would yeah. it had type ahead, but like it would ingest the it had the metadata, and so as you typed, it would map what you were typing to the metadata that they already had. Um, uh, and so what they they just kind of layered GPT on top of that, which which I thought was smart because um, you know they've optimized this uh, kind of keyword based SQL generation engine. Um, and you know if anybody who's played around with GPT has seen the SQL it generates, it is all over the place as far as how good it is, right. Um, you know and so like it kind of they layered it on top of what they already had to, to keep lineage and explainability and and the high quality SQL engine in place, but to give the user the freedom to, to really type anything. Um, so I thought it was a smart, a very smart, uh, Integration and I, they were the one in particular. I was curious what they were going to do because unlike most other BI tools, their whole thing was: look, you can chat to our tool.
0: Right, always has been, but you right. had to do it like a certain way before, right? So it was like a very yes. specific um, pattern yeah. match, and so. But but now with freeform, uh, freeform text, like that's, I think it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a game changer. I know all this stuff is super early, and I think there's you know high expectations, but give it time. I mean, exactly. Like I've told other people, you know, GPT and similar stuff. It just reminds me of what the web browser was back in 95 when it came out or, you know, but it, it's super early, but I think it, it, uh, opens your eyes to what's possible. Right. And so it's, um, it's not like, yeah. it's not like we're going to stop training AI models to, despite, uh, certain petitions out there. So, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's going to happen. No,
1: right. It is, it is. And, and I agree. I mean, it's, you sometimes people, I, the one thing I will say is like, I'm very impressed with what i've seen of, of it so far if you were to ask me to predict what what impact is this going to have on kind of bi and the analytics front end i would there's some obvious things to say like you know it's going to cut down on the um, obviously the amount of manual dashboard creation or manual construction of visualizations that we're going to do we're going to we're going to engage in it's going to make data discovery more fluid and easier for people you're not going to have to learn as complicated of a user interface but that's about as far as I'm willing, like those things are obvious to me. And otherwise I, I feel like the generative AI thing is almost a, a wall beyond which I'm skeptical of anyone who is confident they can see past, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's just unknowable to me right now.
0: Well, I mean, for the first time you, you've really captured, um, uh, some semblance of intelligence, right. In a way where you could do, a, a, a you know basically a back and forth q a type thing with it right or you know some sort of a, a statement of response but in a way i would say that passes a turing test um you know to a, to a large degree i mean the whole point of gpt was to make a very believable looking uh text prediction model and it certainly did a fantastic job at that whether or not it's right i you know who cares about facts these days anyways. So, <laughs> um, that's, that's quaint. Uh, so, but as long as it right. looks true, that's, that's what matters. Um, it's all that matters. So,
1: and it, it's very convinced. I've never seen such a convincingly wrong computer system.
0: Mm-hmm. It gaslights <laughs> you to no end. Cause you're just like, yeah. is it right? And you're like, no, it's not, but M- is it, I don't know. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> I had it. Um, I had it write A, uh, uh, I asked it to write. It. I have three kids. I had it. I asked it to write an epic poem about them fighting a dragon, mm. so I could read it to them. Right, and it did a good job. And then I, um, I was actually an English major and a playwriting yeah. student in undergraduate. Um, and uh, so I asked it to convert the poem to I- iambic pentameter, which is the meter that Shakespeare wrote in. Mm. Right, and um, it would continuously fail to do it, but claim that it, it had done it and it would try to prove to me that what it had written was in, was in iambic pentameter. And then I would point out that it was wrong and it would apologize profusely and then say, I'm gonna rewrite it now in the correct meter and write it wrong again. Um, and there was, I could not convince it. It was just this this interplay where it kept saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I messed up. Let me fix it. And then it would get it wrong But every time I asked it, was is this an iambic pentameter? It would initially tell me, yes, it is. And it would try to prove to me that it was until I pointed out the way in which it was wrong. It was wild.
0: That's interesting. I'll I'll show you this real quick. Um, Similar thing. So I asked uh, Let me pull this up here real quick. And for the uh, audience, sorry, this is audio only. But um, so I asked uh, Bard, um, was the war in Iraq a failure? just to see if it had an opinion on stuff. And it certainly did. Uh, yeah. It says the war in Iraq was a failure. And I, and I actually had a follow-up. Is this statement false? Which was more of a logic question, uh, sort of a self, self-referential uh, type of a question. And it proceeded to, to also respond, no, the war in Iraq was in fact a failure. The statement is not wrong or it's not false. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because it, uh, it definitely had an opinion about... Something and I'm not sure where this opinion came from, uh, but yeah, you know, but it did a good job at arguing, like, yes, it was an absolute failure, here's why, blah 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 blah. blah. So it's, it's interesting,
1: yeah. I mean, and, and I think about like, so what it how I try to think about like, so let's transpose something like what you just showed there, like it, it the system has an opinion, right? So it's you know, it is an expert system insofar as like you're asking it to, uh, you're at you're asking it. A question like an opinion question, and it it is trying to summarize what it believes to be the state of of the facts and give you something. And so, you, I'm very interested in if we turn this to internal data at a business, Mm -hmm. right? And now the system has an opinion about how you should be running your business. Yeah, you know what what is what you know what does that do? To the workplace, and and what happens if you disagree with the large language model about what you should be doing in your business?
0: That's interesting. Yeah. What if it tells you that you, you need to, you actually need to close shop? This is a waste of your time. Um, yeah. So, right. You or, know, uh, or, you know, Barbara needs to be fired. Um, so, right. Exactly. Exactly. Not pulling her weight. The, that's, you know, that's a fascinating thing. Yeah. Who are you going to believe? Right. And, um, right. Uh, and could it be manipulated too, uh, depending on somebody's agenda? Yeah, I mean, these are fascinating questions that are, I think, we're going to be experiencing in no less, or you know, probably no more than a year from now when, when you start being able to train the kind of foundation models on your own data. That's eh, that's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, and I, I think everybody. I, I mean, you, you kind of said earlier, right? We're not going to stop training these models. I mean, it, it doesn't feel. Um everybody's gonna do it, right? And we're gonna do it before we have figured all this out. Um, and so, you know, what, like what, I don't know, when, when, the, when, the, the, when the C-suite has got what the model's telling it and then what everybody who work for them are, are saying, right? And those things disagree, what, what happens? Uh, we're all well, gonna learn.
0: Well, yeah, especially if you are a malicious actor and decided to uh, maybe uh, taint a model that's used by a competing company. Right, I guarantee you something that's going to be happening: just misinformation, disinformation, uh, kind of polluting the uh, the model that's giving you uh, lots of advice. Uh, If I were a malicious actor, I would certainly do that to my competitors. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Just uh, yeah, that's that's going to be fascinating to to see. Um, What what do you think happens to analysts uh, with the rise of uh, generative AI? Sorry, could you repeat that? Oh, sorry. What what do you think happens to analysts um, with the uh, rise of uh, generative AI?
1: One more time, it, c- it cuts off exactly when you get to. Oh, the...
0: <laughs> oh sorry. Um, can you hear me now? So, yeah. yeah, sorry. My my question was, uh, what happens to analysts? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you yeah, with generative yeah. AI.
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, well, I mentioned earlier. There's uh, so the caveat with this will be I mentioned the wall yeah, the beyond wall. which yeah. I'm. It's hard to see, right? Uh, but I think um, so. One thing about the state of generative AI is that I I have asked it. When I first played around with it, my, my immediate thought, cause you know, part of my job and yours too, right? We, we produce content. Um, and when I saw what it could do, immediately my first thought was like, I was a little afraid uh, when I saw how good it was at writing something. But um, when I started asking it questions about my area of expertise and analytics and BI, I realized that um, at least at the state that it's in today, In order to get anything that approaches what i what i as as kind of a you know an expert in the field felt was insightful out of it like you actually had to already be an expert in the field right right? to put in the right prompts is kind of what it seemed like to me right if i didn't know enough about this industry i wouldn't have been able to ask it the questions to get the answers that i got out of it and so i think in the near term it will be a significant uh, productivity enhancement for data analysts um, who have a who already possess a level of expertise, right? Because you will be able to input the right prompts. You will be able to input prompts to the system that people without your expertise would not. Um, and so that's the short term. Now, in the longer term, I think eventually the system itself. It's hard to see. A, and unless there is some unforeseen technical barrier in which it, it turns out that the current methods of building these AIs, if, if, in, unless we're close to a wall where they can't get much smarter using the current methods, which I am not in a, in a position to, to say whether that's true or not, it's not my area of expertise, right? But unless, unless that's the case, it's hard for me not to see a, a, a world where they, they truly do replace a lot of what many data analysts do today. Hmm. If you're on a BI team, or you know, you're a data analyst embedded in a business, or you're a data analyst on a data science team, wherever you are, and, and most of your job is fielding what I call low value ad hoc questions, which, which are, um, show me this data, it's currently sliced by dimension X. Now slice it by dimension Y, right. which which is a lot of what people do day to day. Um, I, I mean, there's no way that that these systems are not going to fully replace that kind of work, right? And so, you need to find your. Was my career shift into career advice mode? I guess um, what you need sure. to do is uh, uh, find out how to. That stuff's going to get automated one way or another. Um, you need to be moving into, as an individual and as a data practice, high value ad hoc questions that are speculative, where it's not just a matter of reconfiguring the existing data, yeah. uh, you know, but but it's a matter of solving problems that come out of the business. Um, and so I really, I, if anything, it's just, there's the, you know, the whole show me the money thing we've got going on right now in analytics and data and tied to business value, um, it's an extension of that. But I, I, I mean, I guess it's a long answer to your question, but you know, really it's gonna fundamentally change what it means to be a data analyst. And and a lot of what many data analysts do today is there's just no way it's not gonna be automated away by the system.
0: Right. Yeah, I feel like questions that relate to like, what and when, right? Like that, that's subject to automation, uh, forces you to kind of move up the value chain to more causal type uh, problems. Right, uh, kind of um, how and why type of questions and answers that aren't immediately intuitive. Uh, probably by mm-hmm. a system, right? It just wouldn't understand how to solve that. It could give you a give you a very convincing answer, but it, it wouldn't really drive your business. At least not yet. So, you know that that's it's the kind of stuff that the C suite is expecting, right? I mean, it's the kind of questions they're grappling with every day. So, hopefully, it moves analysts closer to helping with uh, you know you know, just higher, higher order type problems. So
1: I, and, and I, my hope is that what this does is by, so the fear is obviously by automating so much of what data analysts do today, that it's going to eliminate the need for, for them. And it's, it, you know, it's just, there'll be fewer jobs and the wages will be lower and all of that. Um, and, and that is possible, but it, my hope is that what it does is, is, it frees people up that we're able to address important, speculative, high-impact questions. Uh, we're able to address more of them more quickly using human beings. Right. Right. That that we'll will just be able to take this brain power that's currently being wasted on. You know, I'd really like to see this chart by mm-hmm. region instead of by state. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and and like we'll be able to take that person and repurpose their brain power to the type of thing a machine can't do yet.
0: So if you're a, uh, somebody who's still in school and is interested in, in getting into data analytics or data science, uh, what would you recommend to them, uh, now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is, I mean, this is also something i thought about cause like I, I, I wonder, so I was talking about, you know, the, my, my interactions with, um, with GPT-4 in particular, and um, and how I felt that like I needed this level of expertise in order to be able to input the prompts to get me like like high value meaningful answers out of it. Um, and so one of the things, and I, I probably don't need to tell anyone who's in school this right, but um, I, you know I would be engaging with these models now and learning how they work and how they think in quotes um, now, right? Uh, because they are going to be a big part of your job. I don't think that they're going to replace in in the near or medium term the fundamental expertise that you need to develop in our industry, because of the fact that you you do need to have that level of expertise to input the meaningful prompts. And also, you know, you've probably messed around with it to generate code. I have too. It's impressive, but it also is the code doesn't always work. Right. And even when it does, it's often highly inefficient and they have huge security holes in it and all sorts of stuff like that. So you're still going to need to learn those skills. Um but I do think your job is going to be highly augmented by these machine intelligences mm-hmm. going forward. Um I think it is it is going to be more important to understand business and business people and their objectives uh and And analytics, the philosophy behind it, the practice behind it, the best practices, the high level stuff, right? And be able to marry those together. How how do you talk to someone in a business? How do you, when they don't, they can't translate what they need to tech speak. So how do you do that, right? Um, Those sorts of skills I think are gonna be more important. And I do think the thing that's gonna get hit first in my opinion, is probably the just raw, are you an incredible, you know, like just how good are you at, you know, messing around in DBT? You're still gonna have to be good, but you know, the premium is gonna be shifting towards your ability to identify and deliver value-added right. things to the business and shifting away from, you know, how good are you at locking yourself away and, and coming up with a data pipeline? Mm-hmm. That That's my theory.
0: I tend to agree with that. Um, It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I had that rant the other day about how, uh, you know, we need to stop using the word data when we're talking to the business and just, you know, relate to their problems and, um, you know, help them find solutions using data as a facilitator of of solving these things. But I think we we take too much of a data centric approach to the world. It's sort of, um, you know, like the uh, world, you know, the universe revolves around data. Then then you suddenly realize that, no, actually. uh, um, you know it, it's sort of a copernicus moment in some ways uh but this has been happening yeah. but these, these these sorts of moments have been kind of you know happening uh, on and off in the industry for a long time i think it's like a pendulum you sort of swing one way then uh then the other way you're like well maybe we've, we've been kind of doing it wrong you know and this this argument's tend to recycle themselves but but I, I do agree that anymore, you know with data um just becoming a lot easier and automated like you're going to have to you know focus on um the business you know, some th- recommendations I would have for, for listeners is, you know, understand like value stream mapping. Uh, that's awesome. Just, you know, understand how to uh, identify and, um, you know, deal with waste and, and processes and, and so forth. It's, you know, that, that's an incredibly powerful gift to have Learn statistics. I think especially now with GPT, you got to be able to understand like, it, this is the answer that it's giving actually right? Or is it a, Mm. um wrong <laughs> so learn logic yeah. learn logic right I mean just uh maybe basic philosophy even I think you know I've been saying spending a lot of time studying language actually just understanding how that works that's been fascinating right so
1: yeah I mean I I can tell you you know like I mentioned earlier but my my background so I didn't get into uh, data and, and analytics until I was 28. Geez, late bloomer. Just I kidding. know, right? <laughs> uh, I spent the the that all that earlier time, you know, I was doing theater. So I started a theater company in Chicago. Oh, that's I was doing cool. play reviews, I was writing plays, I was directing shows, I was doing all that sort of stuff. And um, I only got out of it because uh Cause I couldn't make any money,
0: <laughs> right?
1: you know, uh, at some point I started, I, I realized one day I was going to, uh, I had this data entry job and I looked around the office and it was like, everyone had been there at least 10 years and they all hated one another. Awesome. And I realized, I realized I was going to be one of them <laughs> unless I, I had a, uh, uh, I had, a, you know, I got some skills and got a better day job. And, and anyway, you know, the reason I tell that story is just, um, those skills I learned in theater have been like invaluable mm-hmm. to my career in data. They they're just really like the ability to think about what motivates people, you know, um, and 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 how to talk to them and understand them where they are, and and tell a story that will reach them where they are and motivate them in a certain direction. I mean, in in data of all of all the different things you. Could do if you're, you know, reporting up to a CIO somewhere. I I think data is the place where those types of skills are by far the most useful, um, and so I, I would embrace that sort of thing, right? Like that yeah. needs to be part of your education as a data analyst. Is like what what does it, what does it mean? What how are you who are you trying to reach and how and what's the best way to do it?
0: Mm. You know. That's really interesting. How, how would you go about teaching somebody that?
1: Yeah, that's tough. I mean, first of all, you need to, the most important thing, honestly, in my mind is like, you need to be reading, um, and, and you can be re and not just technical books. Uh, you can be re- you know, there are books that talk about these sorts of topics. Um, I would say you need, you need to be reading, uh, but, but beyond just stuff related to your job, i mean i I think reading's the most yeah. imp- one of the most important things you can do as a human being and and i I find you know I read a lot of a lot of nonfiction or fiction rather, and literature and stuff like that and um you know or philosophy and and you're gonna find that when you study. Great writers or great thinkers that you are going to learn things about what it means to be a human being that you can apply to yourself, Mm. but you can also apply to your relationships to other people. Um, You know, I've been on this Roman Stoics kick lately, and like I learn stuff there, stuff there all the time that I feel like applies to my work as a data practitioner.
0: Interesting, like what?
1: Um, You know, a lot of it has to do with. like to me, the the biggest thing I would say that I I pull out of it has to do with uh, uh, understanding what you can control and what you can't, and making sure that you invest in the things that you can control predominantly, um, and that your your emotional attachments are only to those things that you you can control, right? right. So like um, understanding, you know, you're working on a data you're working on a project of some sort, having an understanding of what the goal of this project is and what what is within your purview to advance that goal and what is not. Um, And being clear about that, I find very freeing to allow me to focus and really narrow down on the things that are gonna push the ball forward most effectively while allowing me to let go of the frustrations of the things that I don't have control over. Mm. And I think it makes me more effective, right? fundamentally because i don't waste time i like to think
0: <laughs> yeah i
1: don't i don't waste time on things that ultimately i don't have influence over
0: that's interesting it's sort of like a stephen covey's uh what was a circle of you know concern and circle of influence or something like that so yeah, yeah there's a lot of things you be uh, concerned with um to no end uh but you know what can you really do about most of it probably nothing that's the approach I take in a lot of cases too. I, I don't read a lot of news. Um, for that reason, it's like, even if I knew something like, what am I going to do about it? You know? Yeah. Um, it's nice to know. Uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of news too, I feel like it's, it's, it's fabricated to elicit certain emotions out of you. Uh, and so, sure. you know, it's, it's easy to sit there and doom scroll. I, I, you know, much like you, I, I read a ton of books. Uh, it's kind of all I do when, when I'm not, uh, writing these days is just, um, sitting in my lounge chair just reading it's about it so
1: yeah I, it's really I, I mean that's I, I just that's that's my career advice that's also my life advice it's like yeah read, you know um, you're here for a certain amount of time and uh, I, I find reading to be the most effective way to engage intellectually with the world you know you You need to go out and experience it too. Don't spend all your time sitting down reading, but, um, you know, devote some time to it.
0: It helps. It's interesting too, because reading's going, uh, I feel like uh, reading is just one of the activities that's declining in popularity. Um, You know, I'd love to see some studies on this to see by how much, uh, but it, it, it definitely feels like it is. So,
1: I, you know, it's, I, so my, the other super data brother, Eric, um, Eric, uh, shout out to Eric. Um, oh, he, Eric. Uh, <laughs> so he, you know, he and I read a lot of the same stuff, but the way we read it is different. I read mm. it and he listens to the audiobook.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And I, I find that that is a, not that I don't listen to audiobooks, I do, but I prefer to read it. And he, he's seven years younger than me and he and all his friends exclusively listen to audiobooks. Um, and, and I wouldn't think seven years would be enough for that to be like a big cultural divide between us but at least in our little group it is
0: that's really interesting yeah i know people like that too people older and and also younger than me that that just uh, i guess listen to audiobooks i'm not going to call it reading because i don't I, I i don't i don't think these are the same thing uh they're not <laughs> no no it's like watching tv and seeing seeing you're uh, you're reading a book i'm like oh you're literally not but okay um <laughs> but some people you know I, I think they feel like it's more convenient to to listen to an audiobook than to read um you know i mean, I might i have a kindle that i read a lot on and i have yeah. i mean hundreds and probably thousands of books actually if you include what's in my storage unit um it's just it is what it is i don't know i mean i i, I grew up reading i probably read like one or two books a week uh, or more and it's just kind of how it is but um and it's weird too with my kid my 12 year old my oldest you know he he reads books my youngest one he just watches uh minecraft and, and um the only thing he reads is like articles and how to be an influencer. Like that's he's like he's like nine and like that's literally what he reads. It's like how do I how do we how do I get to a hundred million followers on uh, YouTube? <laughs> like <laughs>
1: that is a I've I've seen stuff about um I, I'm not going to remember any of the statistics. It's but you know but the number of uh, young people who like that is their career aspiration is to be an influencer on a social media platform is like some some huge percentage of young people. Um, and it makes sense to me, like they engage with the world so much through those platforms and through those influencers that of course, you know, that's what they're going to want to, um, in the same way that when I was 12, like I was certain I was going to be a rock star, even though I can't play an instrument. Right. Um, you know, like it, it makes sense to me that if you're 12 today, that is what you, you see as, as a really high status, high reward career path, um, Oh, I mean, Ma-
0: you could make you could make good money at it if you if you succeeded at it. I mean, yeah. you know, it's even it's funny in the data space too because I mean, you know, we got friends that are like, you know, almost a million, uh, you know, YouTube subscribers, and my my kids look at that, then it's like, oh, that, it's nothing, Mister Beast. Yeah. Mister Beast is like a hundred million followers. Who's this loser? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Just like, yeah, but you know, my, you know, but it's it, so it's influence is definitely one of these things. that's very fractal in that sense, where you know you could be a of nerd famous in the data community um you know and uh but you know you step outside of that and nobody knows who you are nobody cares so right yeah so it's 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 interesting for sure so um because you know yeah like last night i was at a uh club just watching some friends uh you know play live techno it's something i do once in a while too but it, it's you know it's one of those things where. It's refreshing in a way, because I can go to these places and I don't have to talk about data with people. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs>
1: yes. I, I, I feel you on that one. I, I definitely, I mean, I'm passionate about data. I, you know, I, I really, I love my career. I love the people I, I work with, um, but I definitely, there are times when I, you know, I, I used to spend all, you know, go back 15 years, I spent all my time talking about plays. Um, right. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a. Uh, you can. It, it's easy to get too wrapped up in your day job, especially if you're a passionate, you know, person who um, who invests in whatever they're doing. Uh, and there are times when it's like, you know, I would just like to talk about something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel you on that one for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like at uh at, at conferences, especially, like, you know, I, I I'm always um. I'm always appreciative when, when somebody wants to talk about something besides uh, data or tech. Uh, you know, yeah. definitely, definitely appreciative the, you know, that we're given the opportunities to, to talk about these things. You know, in our industry with other people, but it's also cool to talk about you know reading or climbing or I don't know beer or whatever. So yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Like, I, how often do you find yourself? Uh, you know, I, I guess what's the ratio of the time you spend thinking about uh, data versus the time that you spend not thinking about data?
1: Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's probably lately been an unhealthy amount thinking about data compared to, uh, to where I would like it to be, you know, um, a lot of what I've been doing lately, you know, kind of what we started talking about at the beginning. I've just, I have this, I just feels like we're at an inflection point in a lot of different ways in the data industry right now. And, um, and that's a, a kind of a cross roles. And so I really feel like, uh, in my particular area of expertise, which, you know, is the kind of the BI DW reporting and analysis space, it's just things have felt really stale to me for a little while. And yeah. so I'm I feel that I've kind of been a little more consumed than usual lately with like trying to figure out where where should we go from here to make things better for everyone, but selfishly more exciting for myself. You right. Know? Um so I've been thinking about it you know, more than usual. I, I do I, mean, I do occasionally wake up in the middle of the night like with a thought about, you know, something data related that I, I can't get out of my head.
0: Ryan, I, you gotta go see a therapist about this. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. That happens, uh, you know, those 3 a.m. thoughts. And then you write them down real quick and then you read it in the morning and you're like, what the hell does this mean?
0: That's uh, it's funny. I don't know what's, I don't know what's in the air, but I, I feel like I've been having very similar thoughts and I know other people have too. It's sort of this, these existential thoughts about the industry, sort of where we yeah. are. But I think it's kind of cool in a way though, because it's, you know, it's people like us that are, I think, helping shape the, you know, the next version of the industry and pushing it forward, you know, and that it's a, it's a good spot to be in versus just being on the receiving end of everything. Um yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we both reach a certain point where you know our words do carry some weight, and, uh, you know, it helps drive the conversation forward, and, and it's a necessary conversation too. It's I, you know, I look at the industry right now, and it feels like we're no better off really than I think we were probably, you know, 30, 40 years ago, in the sense where I, I feel like we we haven't addressed really the elephant in the room, which is, um, you know, truly adding value, for example, right? Like that's mm-hmm. always something where. You know, on LinkedIn, for example, you know, in our filter bubble, it's the questions are always there, like, oh, we need to add more business value and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, uh, I mean, if we got a dollar for every one of those types of posts, you know, be quite well off. Um, but it just seems like that's it's just a recurring theme over and over in the industry. And, yeah, you know, so
1: yeah, I, I, I every time I see, I, I always want to ask people, like, what does that mean? You know, yeah. and not in like, uh, I know I don't. I don't want to. I'm not trying to be rude about it, but like, there's so much conference. It's just like like the catch-all. Oh, we just need to deliver more value, and it's like, well, (laughs) can someone please define that for me Mm -hmm. in a way that like we're all going to agree on, and um, you know, uh, or we, you know, can just define it at all, even if we don't all agree on it, right? Like, what what does value mean? And is it is it it is is it reducible to show how data project X either saved a million dollars or made a million dollars? Um, I think in a lot of cases it needs to be, um, but or that at least needs to be a component of it, uh, especially if if we are heading into this recession that everybody thinks is coming but keeps not quite starting. Right. Um, at least not in, in a major way, it feels like, uh, you know, you're going to need to be able to show that at some point. It was interesting at Gartner. They had this, this two slides I saw where they, 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 what did they call them? It was financial metrics versus financial influencing metrics. And, And they were making the argument. So financial ones were like your classic, you know, ROI, you know, balance sheet, uh, income statement type stuff. Right. Um, and then financial influencing were like value of the brand, value of company expertise, this more ephemeral stuff. And their argument was that as a data team, it's not enough just to show that classic financial ROI. You need, now need to be able to tie your, your data practice to the financial influencing ROI and show how your data practice helps enhance the value of the brand. And, and I thought that was interesting but i think a lot of data teams when we talk about value like let's not jump to how your data team influences the brand if you can't show how it contributes to the income statement
0: right yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah and I, I think uh, it was a data monetization that's becoming uh you know um something else people are talking a lot about now uh, you know, kind of related to the notion of getting more value. But one of the notions is, well, you know, why, why can't data be on the uh, balance sheet, for example? Right. Um, you know, and, and so forth. And so, I mean, my, my response to that is go talk to an accountant. Uh, I think they understand balance sheets better than data people do. So maybe under, under, <laughs> understand how a, a balance sheet works and like why it, why it looks the way it does. Uh, yeah. So... I mean, it, it is really a
1: shortcut to uh, justification, right? That that's the hope, right? Well, we can just get on the balance sheet, then I don't have to prove that this is valuable. Yeah, but it
0: sort of already is, though, right? I mean, it, it's it's an intangible asset. It's, it's classified under goodwill, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and um, you know, on your balance sheet. But I, but yeah, because then the argument's, oh, you could, you know, maybe dep- depreciate the. Uh, um, you know, the asset value over, over time and stuff. And it gets a bit convoluted. I think to your point, it's like, you know, wh- where is it on the income statement at the end of the day? You know, it, did you make a positive impact or, or did you not? And right, um, I mean, to me, it's, it's very, very black and white like that. So, but back in the day, that's kind of what you had to do, right? I mean, back in the day, you know, when I, when I started working in data over 20 years ago, it wasn't, it wasn't called data. It was just, it was just like, you know, you get a job, being a sales and marketing analyst and you're helping to provide lift for that particular function. And if you can do that, great. If you can't, then you should go find somewhere else to go work. So right. you know, data was kind of how you got there, but it's not like, you know, we we're the data department or anything. I, uh, um, yeah. you know, that's, and I kind of miss those days where it was just tied back to just an outcome. It didn't really give a shit how you got there. Just get there. So
1: now, do you? I'm curious. Do you think that it was? Was it like the the advent of the data scientist, where things got like nebulous? Where it feels it was, like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree. Because it, it, it felt like around the early 2010s, data started becoming its own th- thing. I guess. Yeah. Whereas before, it was just sort of embedded as a as a function and in whatever department you happen to be in. Now, all of a sudden, everyone wants to do data for its own sake. So, I think I think it's definitely a big component of that. So data is a new oil, data is the sexiest job of the 21st century. It's kind of like, you know, then everyone wants to be a data scientist. Um, you know, that's just, uh, that's kind of how it went. So, you know.
1: yeah, yeah, well, that's, I, I think so too. Like that just kind of, that's where the shift happened. Like, Hey, we just hired all these data scientists. We're paying them a ton of money. We don't know what they do. Uh, but it sure seems important.
0: <laughs> right because well it's i mean it's sort of this uh, prisoner's dilemma as well where if you're a company and you know you, you see your competitors yeah investing in data i mean your optimal solution is to also invest you know you don't want to be left behind even though you fast forward you know several years and you realize yeah, there wasn't uh i don't want to poop with the whole thing but it, it mm-hmm. definitely felt like uh, it was getting ahead of itself right and I, I would argue that a lot of the end results um you know may have been a uh, I, I think a bit more eagerly uh, anticipated than than what actually happened. So,
1: yeah, I I talked to someone at Gardner who um who told me that they where they worked, they did a study they did an internal study to see what their competitors were spending on data and, and they concluded that it was three x what they were spending. So they basically overnight three x the data budget with no idea what they were going to do with that money. And and so they hired a ton of people, they bought all sorts of tech, and now they, you know, this was a little while ago, so in the data lake, and what are we gonna put in the data lake? We don't know what's gonna come out of it. We also don't know. Um, and then, you know, like you said, you flash forward three years, and it was like, what What did we spend all that money on?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, in, in other cases too, back in the day, you know, kind of the mid 2010s and on, you know, it wasn't uncommon for companies to hire data teams because that could, you know, increase your valuation, for example, when you're looking to raise more money, um, you know, it, it made it a lot more attractive. You know, I know of um, one uh, very popular uh, company that um, does uh, remote offices, um, uh, kind of workspace stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they, they hoarded a bunch of data scientists there. And as far as I could tell, they're all mothballed. I don't, I don't know what they're working on. Um, <laughs> but it was just to say, like, yeah, we, we're, we're really investing in data science and AI. Yeah. And we have this team of these, you know, PhDs and, um, you know, it was simply for the optics of of being able to raise more money is why you had these people. It wasn't because if you look at the the business model of of that particular company, it's like, what would you hire a data science team for? Right. What's the point you're renting, you're renting office space out to people. It's like not that hard. People have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Right.
1: What exactly is the machine optimization you're going to apply to this one? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I saw this over and over, you know, and even, you know, helped, uh, you know, kind of advise on pitch decks for some companies that are, were saying, oh, we're doing AI and, you know, underneath the covers, you, you know, you know that's non-existent, but, um, you know, but everyone had this collective, uh, you know, desire to, to, you know, invest in this type of stuff regardless because I felt like it's, again, there's a lot of fear of missing out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so if you're not doing it, then, you know, you're not data-driven, quote unquote, so.
1: Data-driven.
0: hmm <laughs> Data-driven. What does that mean to you? Um,
1: oh, that's a good one. I think ultimately, um, you know, I don't, I definitely don't think a, a company or, or anything in life should be exclusively governed by what the math says. Because um, the math will tell you to do things, you know, it's impossible to know what's going to happen in the future. And sometimes you just need to make a bet. Right. Mm. And so, um, and that will often get you your biggest failure or your biggest reward. And so in my mind, a data driven company or even person is someone who, uh, takes the, is someone who uses the data uses the numbers to make an informed decision knowing whether or not the, like you have to you have to have the data to choose whether or not you're going to accept or reject it right i don't think it means just accepting whatever the numbers tell you um, but having an accurate view of what the numbers are and then applying your own wisdom on top of it. Yep. And if you're not going to do what the numbers say, being able to articulate why.
0: Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. How many companies out there do you think are are, are data driven?
1: Sorry, could you? Oh, sorry. That? Like
0: how many, how many companies out there that you've seen oh. do, you th- do you think are actually data driven?
1: Well, I think a lot of them, um, fall into one of two buckets. The one bucket the the biggest bucket by far is we don't have a handle on what the what the data even is. Um, and so we're not able to use it to to inform decision making in a timely manner. Um, I, I would say to this day that is still most companies, especially as you get further and further away from kind of you know the tech firms and the tech adjacent firms, right?. Um, you get out here, I'm in the Detroit area, you know, you, you go to some mid-sized auto parts manufacturer here and like, they're not, that's not how they're making decisions in a lot of ways, right? They don't have a fundamental grasp of the data. Right. Um, so I'd say most companies fall into that bucket. The other bucket is, you know, we've, we've decided we're going to do whatever the numbers say, uh, that's a smaller slice. But larger than the third slice, which is, um, you know, we're going to. We have a grasp of the data. We know what the numbers say. We understand what, what, from a pure, you know, pure data perspective, what it's telling us to do. And we have the wisdom to reject that when that makes the most sense for us. That's the smallest slice, and that's where I think everybody should strive to be. Mm. Both organizations and human beings.
0: That's a really good one. I like that. Cool. Kind of switching gears? Like, uh, I guess what, what's next for you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, well, one thing, you know, I'm, we're, we're, uh, continuing. My brother and I are continuing on the, uh, the super data brothers train. So, um, you know, we do our show every Thursday, uh, it's live streamed to LinkedIn and YouTube. Nice. Uh, at the same time every Thursday at noon eastern and so we'll keep doing that um and then you know we're um we're we're trying to figure out it's just very interesting um you know working in that space uh that's the my favorite thing is like getting to meet people like you and and people who I yeah, know likewise. on the show mm-hmm. um, is awesome and these conversations that we have are are great so that's like the thing I'm most excited about going forward, and then you know, I mean, the the thing I'm I'm really working on is is like, just how how do I and how do we as kind of BI people, you know, transition to whatever is going to replace this dashboard era, mm-hmm. um, and what can I do to steer that to the healthiest place possible for all of us as people, right? That's my my primary goal, and so um, you know, whatever the Best way to do that, as someone who hosts a show, as someone who has these conversations, and then you know professionally the projects I take on—that's what I care about the most.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you're doing the Lord's work. Uh, I really like your show. Um, you know, your, your Substack is awesome. It's killing it. Uh, it's really, really thoughtful content. And the fact that you're a writer, I think shows because your writing's really good too. So, um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So, now that your ego is like uh, the, the size of the sun, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, Joe, keep talking. Um, so, no, this, this has been good, man. Um, for people who want to learn more about you, how can they do that?
1: You know, the easiest way to do it, um, so connect with me on LinkedIn, right? It's Ryan Dolly, uh, D O L L E Y. Um, I think I might be the only one. Um, uh, and then um, check out the Super Data Brothers YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Super Data Brothers. And uh, we've been working on a website for, I just tell you superdatabrothers.com, but like if you go there right now, you're not going to see anything. Um, we've been working on that forever. It's still not done. Uh, but yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out the YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, that, that those are the, the ways awesome. right now.
0: Very good. Very good. I'll put the uh, links in the show notes so uh, people can check those out. Awesome. Well, it's great having you on the show. Um, Welcome to come back anytime, have a chat. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun. So, Yeah. yeah, thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Great conversation, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, see you.